dealing with difficulties. You know, from, the, from Genesis chapter 3 till this day, there have been, we have lived in the throes of wars and fights and struggles and sufferings and generally called difficulties. Does anybody in here in this room live a life free of difficulties? Would you please raise your hand? Isn't it true that we all have some kind of struggles? We've got family struggles. We've got personal issues. We've got work issues. We've got all kind of issues. In fact, you've heard me say this more times than once, that for most of us, for most of us, we are one of three places. We are either in the middle of a personal storm right now, we are just coming out of a personal storm, or we're, we are about to go into a personal storm. It doesn't mean that we're bad people. It just means that we're human. We live in this depraved world. Struggles, difficulties, sufferings, wars, fighting are a part of this depraved world. Now, it's true that we can make it worse by walking away from God. But no matter what we do, we're going to, we're going to experience struggles. The last time that we visited this book, we ended verses 13 through 18, where it talked about wisdom. And there were three types of wisdom that we shared in that July message. And it was a demonstration. And I know you can recite this right back to me because I know you just feed on every word that I tell you and you just can spit it back. Demonstrated wisdom, demonic wisdom, and divine wisdom. And it's all right in verses 13 through 18. It is worth rereading. But here's what I will say to you is that when you read to the end of chapter 3 is to get a clear understanding that Jesus, that Jesus wants us to have a faith and a wisdom. And, 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 and let me just say this, a faith that is life-altering, that is mind-changing, that is landscape uh, that, that altering. He wants us to have this kind of wisdom to know what to do and how to do it in his will. Most of us can figure out what we want to do. And I just will tell you, when we figure it out, most of the time we figure it wrong. Unless we get some of his help. So tonight, I want us just to take a look in the first ten verses of, cha of chapter four of James. If you will, I want you to stand and let's... Honor the reading of God's word. If you can, if you can't, that's fine. Beginning in verse 1, James writes, What is the source of the wars and the fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? <coughs> Excuse me. You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and do, cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly so that you may spend it on your own desires for pleasure. Adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says that the spirit he has caused to live in us yearns jealously? But he gives greater grace. Can I get an amen? 
When you face troubles, aren't you glad that God gives a greater grace? He gives a greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded people. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's pray together. Father, take this portion of your word for these minutes that remain and help us focus on you. Help us focus on your desire for us of how we handle struggles and how we handle difficulties. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you give us a word in your word about how to get on with life when struggles come our way. Lord, help us never take them for granted. We know that they're your, um, they're your field, they're your workshop to do work in our lives. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, knowing that everybody has struggles and difficulties and fights and wars in their lives, isn't it great that God puts a word here for us that we can know how to handle it? In fact, when I read this, verse 6 always jumps out at me. I don't know about you. God gives greater grace, man, and I'm glad. But then he says, he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, tonight, what I want to do is I just want to simply give you a message about dealing with difficulties, as I believe he's really teaching here, because I think sometimes we miss the real message here, and I'm going to do it in three little slices. The first, I want us to talk about the source of our difficulties, the source of our difficulties. If you go to verse, four, to verse 1 of chapter 4, you find that James asks a very powerful and a very direct question. But it may be a very different question than we think it is. I want you to notice what he doesn't ask here. He doesn't ask who you're fighting with and what you're fighting over. He doesn't ask that. You know what he asks? He says, what is the source? What is the source of the wars and fights among you? Don't they come from craziness within you? You see, he wants to get to the very core issue. He wants to look at the very root issue, the source, the basis, the root. Now, why does he want to get to the root of the problem? Why should we want to get to the root of the problem? Quite honestly, we're not going to change much. Not much is going to change in our lives until we get to the root of whatever our problem is with our struggles and fights. We bought our house over on Cope Lane. As you know, we have that. Do you know how to define a swimming pool, an in-ground swimming pool, which is what we have? Do you know how to define how I define that? It is a hole in the ground you throw money into. Could I get an amen? That's right. If you've ever had one, you know what I'm talking about. Well, out back by the swimming pool, there is what we call a pool house where I pump pump supplies, and I make it into. I put a lot of other stuff in it. And it's two steps to get in it. Well, when we moved in, those steps were more rickety men than they are now. And the reason they were rickety is because some really smart person planted a bush on this side of the step and a bush on that side of the step. Now, for all those who love bushes around your house, 
When you put something close to your house that God made and God grows, and you put it close to something that man made and man grows, the man made is going to give way to the God made every time. Y'all got what I'm telling you? You understand what I'm trying to say here? And so these bushes, particularly the one on the right side, dislodged my steps. I went out there and I trimmed it. That lasted for just a little bit. And then it dislodged them again. I went out and I cut it off almost at the ground. Well, you know what it did? That's like pruning something. It shot back up and in no time had my steps dislodged again. The only way that I got rid of that bush was to go in and do the difficult work of digging it out by the roots. You know what I discovered? The roots of that, of that little bush were as big as the bush was itself when I started. And it wasn't until I dug it out by the roots that it was gone. You see, James asked us, what is the root cause, the source? And I'll just give you this principle. You can, you can, all of this tonight you may like or may not like, but it's just the truth. Is that too often when it comes to problems and struggles in our life, too often we choose to deal with what is above ground. And we choose not to deal with the roots that are just below ground. That is why problems come up in our family, our life, our church. And we think we've nipped it at the bud, but there's still some roots down there. And the bush comes back, and once again, we have to deal with it. But when I read these two questions, you know what? I think we read these two questions wrong in verse 1. It says, follow along. We're going to stay close to the Bible. What is the source of the wars and fights among you? That tends to leave us the thought that maybe it's talking about fighting among the church. Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? I want you to notice two words there. Among in the first question and within the second question. Okay? Among and within. Let me just tell you something that may start may. um give you a little perception, a little different perception on this, and that is that those two words are the exact same word in the Greek. In fact, I, I dug around and I found one outdated translation that says, what are the source of the wars and fights within you? Don't they come from cravings that are within you? You see, in both cases, it is talking about it is given the idea of what's going on inside of you. What's, where is it coming? Is it really the real source is, is inside of you? You know, in the church, or when the country, or when your family has a fight. Let me just give you a little secret. Very rarely, very rarely is the is the stated reason for the fight the real problem of what's going on. Normally, it's a symptom of a larger problem. And the truth is, is that Jesus was right, I mean, excuse me, James was writing to believers. And believers are those who Jesus has changed. And he's saying, look, but there's still something going on inside. He saved us. He sent us the Holy Spirit, someone to help us. He's to guide us into holy living. He's to guide us into righteous living. He's to guide us into spiritual unity and spiritual harmony. 
So what could really be the source of our problem? What is it that's in the changed believer, the one that the Holy Spirit has changed from the inside out? What could the source be? Well, I'm going to tell you two things. First of all, I will tell you something general, then I'll move to something specific. Two things that causes believers in their families, in their churches, at their offices, in their country clubs, wherever they go. You see it on the screen, the first one. Generally, it is something called sin. The text speaks of our cravings and our desires. You heard me say this morning that you give Satan an opening into your life, he will come in and get a toehold, it'll grow into a foothold, and pretty soon it is a stronghold. Basically, the sin of a believer is the fight that goes on between the old man and the new man. Now, can I ask you a question? Don't be too self-righteous or too spiritual. Do you ever find yourself having a battle between the way you used to do things and the way you're supposed to do things in Christ? Am I the only one? I mean, isn't it like, isn't it like when Satan, like I was talking about that spiritual oppression, isn't it like that, that God comes in with his Holy Spirit, and he creates a new and authentic person, and we're so excited about living for him. And then what happens is that when, the whole, when, when Satan finds an opening into our life, the weakness in our life, he knows when we're weak, he knows our weakness, and he knows when we're weakest. And he comes into our life, and, and here's what happens. You have the Holy Spirit over here. You have the the Satan, you have the enemy over here, and sin creeps into our life. And if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, here's what's not going to happen. The Holy Spirit's not going to remain silent about it. He is going to bug the stew out of you about whatever you're doing. It doesn't matter whether it's moral. It doesn't matter whether it's ethical. It doesn't matter whether it's your attitude. It doesn't matter whether it's your mouth. Here's what's going to happen. The Spirit of God is not going to allow that sin to come into your life without being confronted. So watch what happens. A believer who chooses to embrace sin, chooses to live in sin, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's going, you don't want to do that. And the enemy's going, you want to do that. So do you see what you have? You have a conflicted person. You have a person who really knows what God wants for him is best, a person who has the, the, the influence of the Holy Spirit in their life, but there's something about hanging on to that, that work of the enemy. And so now you're being pulled in both directions. And it makes you a miserable person. I'll just say this to you. A person who is deeply conflicted in their life about good and bad is a dangerous person. Because they've lost their sensitivity. In fact, the Bible talks about someone who has had their conscience seared. When you find someone who is conflicted in their life, you know what you discover? You discover that they can get very self-righteous. They can get very pharisaical. They can point their long, bony finger at you for something that you're going, ah. They can take great pleasure in pointing out your sin. Back in the 80s, PTL. Do you remember that? 87. 87 was a tough year on this in this country because it was in that year, the beginning of that year, that Jim Baker's fall 
Well, it doesn't matter whether you like them or not. It was still the people that pe that this culture looked at as being religious leaders. It doesn't matter whether you liked them or agreed with them or not. Certainly, I don't agree with these guys on all their theological points. Certainly, what they did was sin. But, but in the beginning of that year, Jim Baker was revealed to have had his affair. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. That night on Ted Koppel's Nightline, there was an evangelist sitting there saying, we've got to cut this cancer out of the body of Christ. We've got to cut this cancer out of the body of Christ. You know anybody like that? When they find a brother in sin, got to cut him out. And you're going, Brother Jerry, that's pretty good. Yeah, but it was that evangelist six months later who in New Orleans, Louisiana, when Mr. Swagger was found with his sin, you see, that's why God gives more grace to the humble. When you sin, when you sin and start embracing sin, now you're conflicted, and now uh, there's the war and struggle going on inside of you, and the root cause is not seen because it's so deeply hidden. And when you get conflicted with your sin, you misery loves company. Generally, it is sin, but you know what? You know this text does not just leave us generally at sin. It becomes very specific. And the specific source of our difficulty is the sin of selfishness. How do you get that from there? Brother Jerry doesn't say selfish at all. I want you to watch this. I did this the other night. If you got your pencil and your marker and your Bible, watch this. When I accent a word, you just kind of put a little underline on it. What is the source of the wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because... You ask wrongly so that you may spend it on your desires for pleasure. Who? You think he's pointing a finger? And saying, hey, it's all of a sudden become about you. You see, the truth is, selfishness is the number one cause of wars, of struggles, of strife, and difficulties among God's people. You know, you read it. You crave, you desire, you do what, and you do whatever it takes to get your own thing. You, when you do pray, you pray for the wrong motivation. And then you have the audacity to wonder why God judges you. Did you know most of the sin we commit is based on selfishness? Did you realize that? I read this and it just kind of floored me. We lie. To protect ourselves. We steal because we want something we don't have. We covet because you got something that I want. We commit adultery because of how it makes us feel. We refuse to give up sin because God didn't know what's best for me. I know what's best for me.
Don't miss one truth here. For those who choose to ignore the rebuke of James, for those who continue to live in the conflicted nature of sin and selfishness, which means you're being controlled by the, the two words that are listed there are cravings and desires. Watch this. James calls us, if we live in that way, he calls us adulterers. Now, you, you, come on, folks, it's just us here tonight. Everybody in here knows it. A little lie is different than adultery. We're not according to the Bible. A little, a little covet, that's, that's, or envy, that's a, that's, a, that's a big difference in adultery. Well, what James says, he says it is adultery because of your misplaced love. You have taken love that is due your Heavenly Father, and you have imposed it onto yourself. Is that sobering? The source of the difficulties we face comes from within us, the sin and the selfishness. We love anything. We love anything, including ourselves, more than we love God. We have broken the first and the second commandment. And, and if we are his by rebirth, if we are redeemed, if we are in the family, and we love ourselves more than we love him, we're committing adultery. The first thing, if you're going to deal with difficulty, you need to deal with the root cause of what's going on in your life. What's going, and you can't deal with what's going on in someone else's life before you deal with what's going on with your life. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's why it talked about, why do you, why do you strain at the gnat that's in somebody else's eye and you can't see the log in your own? Won't revival? Draw a circle around yourself and say, okay, God, you deal with everybody else. Now, you come here and deal with me first. You take care of everybody else. That's not my responsibility. But this person in this circle, if you'll talk to me, let's deal with it right now. Let's write out. Deborah told me this morning she liked to pass out when I mentioned what Miss Bertha Smith said about listing your sin. Because that is one of the stations in our prayer event. List your sin. She said kind of lighthearted this morning that we may not want to come. But here's what I'm going to tell you. If God is ever going to get loose in Hueytown Baptist Church, if 40 years is going to be parallel to the 40 years I spent in the wilderness and we're ready to go on for God, it will be because we have the, the spiritual fortitude, that we have the spiritual courage to write down our sin, that we write down... complacency, that we write down coldness, that we write down gossip, that we write down attitude, that we write down pride, that we write down every sin that comes into our life that, that the Lord puts in our mind, and then we take it and lay it on the cross. Until we're ready to deal with those difficulties, I'll just say that God's probably not going to get loose. I think, that, I think I'm seeing some folks that have said, you know, ask for me. Nobody else has to go with me. But as for me, 
I'm going on for God. God wants to do a work. And I want to be a part of it. The source of your difficulty. You have to deal with them. But have you ever thought that when those difficulties come, and I believe he gives us some help here, have you ever thought about the scope of your difficulties? Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about how far-reaching the scope is. You know what the truth is? When you get a person in conflict, let me tell it another way. When a real war breaks out, rarely is it easily contained. Whether it's a personal war, whether it's a war between nations, whether it's a war between states, churches, people, or whatever, when a war breaks out, a lot of innocent people get hurt. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Friendly fire. People get hurt. Well, did you know that when struggles go on in our life, that it's rarely contained because the conflict rages and you begin... It's like when you get in an argument with your wife or your husband. One of the things that, you, that we teach in counseling is to lay down your deadly weapons. When you're arguing with a friend or a mate, lay down your deadly weapons. Your mate in particular, friends, possibly, you know what you can say that will wound them worse than anything else. You know it. And if you say it, you know that they'll be hurt to their core. And yet in the middle of a heated argument, that's exactly what we default to. We pick up whatever weapon we can. Have you ever thought about all the things that it hurts within you when you get conflicted inside, when you have that selfishness and that sin reigning inside? First of all, I will suggest to you that it affects your peace. It affects your peace. Truth is, is that Jesus was in the upper room in the shadow of the cross when he said these words, My peace I leave with you. And the peace that I leave with you, it is not the peace that the world gives. He gives a peace that, is, that helps us to, to be confident in him when the world is spinning out of control. You see, when we embrace or even hide sin in our heart, the first thing that's out the window is our peace. Because all of a sudden we've moved from confidence to conflicted. Because as that sin comes into our heart, the Holy Spirit is prompting us to repent, prompting us to return. And as the internal, as the internal battle rages, you'll see, and you've probably seen, that person alive and vibrant, spiritually holy and healthy and happy, turns into an old grouch. Turns into someone nobody wants to be around. Can I just say this? Verse 5 is one of the most controversial verses in this entire epistle. And it says... Do you think it's without reason that the scripture says that the spirit he is called to live in us yearns jealously? What in the world does that mean? Well, you know what? Every time you read some theologian, one of those guys who sit around and think all the time, is that you'll find as many answers as 
there are theologians. But let me offer you my take, not as a theologian, as a pastor trying to very practically help you understand how that when you get convicted it, and the struggles go on inside of you and how you deal your difficulties, understand that it's going to affect your peace. You read that scripture and you can underline it like you want to. First of all, remember that the Holy Spirit was given to you as your friend. He was, he's given to us as, when we trust him as our confidant. He's given us as our guide. He's given to us as our counselor. And that Holy Spirit that comes within us, he jealously wants us to grow more like God. God still says, be holy as I'm holy. Be different from everybody else. Be holy as I am holy. And he wants us, the Holy Spirit that's in us, never wants us to give sway to the enemy. He wants, he's going to do his best to point us, listen, he's going to do his best to point us to Jesus. Now, did you hear that? He's going to do, us to point, he's going to do his best to point us to Jesus. Just say his name, would you? Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. One more time. Jesus. I'd like us to say that three or four times. Say his name three or four times a day. Because you see, the very reason God sent Jesus. And the very reason Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit is to give us a sense of peace. The Bible says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is And when sin comes into our life, when we embrace sin, we literally dismiss the Holy Spirit and our peace goes out the window. But not only when we are living in our difficulties, in our sin, and our selfishness, does it affect our peace. You're not going to like how I worded this, but I, if you hear me out before you throw me out, I think you'll see what I'm saying. It affects our people. Wait a minute, Brother Jerry, what are you talking about? This is not like you own people. Come on. It, rather, it speaks to those folks who are in relationship around you, those who are your family, those who are your friends, those who hang out with you, those who may have the potential to be your friend. And you're going, wait a minute, how does that affect me? Well, if you read, if you read again verses 2 through 4 that has all the, that list of yous, what you will discover is that you'll you'll discover that the ungodliness in verses two through four will affect the relationships you have. You desire and you do not have. Okay, you're mad. You so what you do when you get upset? You murder. Oh, I've never killed anybody. You ever torn anybody's reputation down? Have you ever picked up that phone and you said, "I, you know, you don't know what that Sunday school teacher did to me. You don't know what that person did to me." Have you ever killed somebody on the phone? That's what James, what John says, is murder. So you you get mad, you desire, you don't get what you want, and so like a kid, you murder and you covet, and it doesn't matter how much you talk, it doesn't matter how much you do, it doesn't matter how much effort you get forward, you cannot obtain. That's what the scripture says. So you know what you do? You raise it a level and you fight and you war. And then it says, and you know what, folks? You don't ask. You don't have because you don't ask. And then when you do ask, I'm, this is what the scripture says, you follow along. Then if you do ask, you don't get it 
because you ask for all the wrong reasons, and the wrong reasons are so that you may spend it on your own pleasure. There's that selfishness coming through again. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to take the, I want to take the light off of you just for a second. Let me just ask you this question. Have you ever stopped hanging around somebody because every word out of their mouth was something negative and mean? Have you ever stopped Have you ever stopped being a friend and you have started avoiding people because of the way they acted, the way they talked? Okay, now let's bring the light back. Have you ever lost a friend and you don't know why you lost them till today? Could it have been that you were that person? Could it have been that you were that person that had nothing but venom or bad attitude? You see, folks, when we affect, when we embrace sin and selfishness as God's people, we become so conflicted inside that our internal peace is gone and it affects our people that are around us. It affects how we interact. I want you to consider something, because I'm not saying this is any of us, but I want you to consider something because it's a pertinent application. What if you are the conflicted person? What if you're not doing it? I don't think there's a mean person. That's my personal opinion. I don't think there's a somebody that just sit, wakes up every morning and just says, I want to be mean today. I don't think there's a mean person in this building. But what happens if you embrace a sin for so long that your conscience gets seared and you're the one? And what happens if tomorrow you go out and you meet someone one time? It's the only time you ever meet that person. It is the only time you have an opportunity to influence that person. And what happens if that encounter was designed by God so that you could speak a word of his truth into their life and you're so conflicted that they walk away regretting they ever met you that's the scope of the difficulties that goes on in our lives it affects the peace that we have it affects the people we know and the people we meet because it number three affects our prayers it affects our prayers This text tells us what I've already mentioned. We don't have because we don't ask. And then when we do ask, we ask it wrong because our motives are wrong. Just let that thought sink in. We're pretty good about going asking God to give us things. One of my great heroes in the faith is Dr. Adrian, was Dr. Adrian Rogers. I got to meet him on several occasions. I saw him about 10 months, excuse me, about 15 months before he died. thought he looked kind of puny when I saw him. Um, but when he preached on this text, he preached a message entitled, 
when God says no. And he talks about the four, way God, four ways God answers your prayers. He says, first of all, God answers your prayer directly when you pray. There are times when he answers, yes, you can have it right now. You ask for it. You've been worthy of it. You've lived right. Your heart's right. Your motives are right. You can have it right now. You can have exactly what you ask for. There are other times that, you, that God answers your prayers differently, which means you ask for something and he lavishes on you more than you ever ask. Have you ever had that to happen to you? Well, Lord, I just asked. I had that to happen to me yesterday. I'm not going to tell you what it was, but I had that happen to me yesterday. I just said, Lord, you know this and this and this. Would, would, you know, could you do this? And all of a sudden, I was just kind of blown out of the water. Sometimes he answers differently. Sometimes he answers delayed, Dr. Rogers says. That means he says, oh, you can't have it right now. It's kind of like my mom and dad used to go, we'll talk about it later. Well, you know what we thought that meant? No. But it didn't always mean no. It just meant now's not the time. And that's what God says. And sometimes God hears our prayer request and he denies our prayer request. He just simply says no. Now, it's not always the reason, but you bank on it. When we go to him and our motives are impure, when our lives are not in line with him, he will say no. It affects not only our prayers, it affects us praying. How many times have you been before the Lord praying and you felt like, Lord, if I've I got to get out of this house because that roof, that ceiling is stopping my prayers. It's still got, not getting above the ceilings. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And sometimes we have to go back and start over and see if our motives are right. God wouldn't be God if he didn't allow his word to give us this third thought, the solution for our difficulties. The solution for our difficulties. I think the first words in verse 6 are striking. He gives greater grace. You know, grace is what's needed for sinfulness and selfishness. Grace is what's needed for pride. And, you know, sinfulness, sin, sin and selfishness and pride are all partners. In fact, I would just tell you, when I, was, when I was putting this message together, you know what came come to my mind? The FBI has a 10 most wanted list. Now, just so you know, just so if there's anybody here that don't understand, it's not that they really want people like this in America. The 10 most wanted list, that's not what they're hoping to get in America. What they're saying is that they want to get those 10 people, they're most wanting to get them out of circulation. They want to get rid of them. May I just say this to you? Pride and selfishness are two of God's ten most wanted. Pride and selfishness is what God wants to get rid of. He wants them gone. And I'm going to just give you three quick steps. Three quick steps. They may be quick, but they're not easy. If we are going to deal with the difficulties that are in our life, if we're going to get back to the root and deal with it, if we're, going to, if we're going to change how it affects our lives, first of all, we're going to have to admit, admit. The first step of, of any struggle is to admit, hey, it's coming from me. I have my desires. I have my cravings. I have my wants. And most of the time, if I'm honest, I see the world through the lens of me. What's best for 
me. This makes me act, me talk, me walk, and me respond all wrong. Well, it's just to be honest. You don't have to say, this is rhetorical. That means you don't say anything out loud. Most of us have a problem admitting that we're wrong. In fact, we see it as some kind of weakness. But it is an interesting that in verse 7, that God says we have to do what we don't want to do. He says, submit to God. He says, not only submit to God, he says, resist the devil. And then he says, draw near to God. Here's what I will tell you. If you submit to God, if you humble yourself before God and you do your best to draw near to God, Satan's going to run. Because where God is, Satan doesn't want to be. I suggest that the very reason that the altar is not filled at the end of every service is not because we're such good people. I suggest that the reason the altar isn't filled is because of our pride and maybe even because of our selfishness. We don't really want to admit. We don't want to admit our need and humble ourselves before the Lord. Some of you are saying, well, Brother Jerry, you don't have to go to the altar. That sounds like a real humble attitude. Oh, come on, Brother Jerry. You, well, you know what's so funny? How come every time someone in the Old Testament or New Testament came face to face with the living Lord, how come the first thing they did was fall on their face? Put themselves in a position where they were humbled. We have to admit that we need his help. Second thing, we have to accept the fact that we can't do it on our own. Second of all, we have to accept the fact that we can't do it on our own. We have to accept the fact that Jesus is still the answer and that he's the only answer. He's the giver of grace. He's the healer of hearts. He is the master of the sea. And it doesn't matter what happens when, when you're on the sea of life. It doesn't matter how the sea and the waves and the wind rock and roll you. The wars and fights you're in is that rocking and rolling of the wind and the waves and the sea. And the, sadly, the only time we think that we want to go and, and, and fall down on our face before Jesus is just before our ship goes under. I'm sorry that a lot of you didn't go to see Courageous. It's kind of like when you have a wonderful program here and people don't come. But here's what I'll tell you. And courageous little girl gets killed. Isn't it interesting how when we face physical death, that all of a sudden we can be humbled. 
just like that. My heart is that God does not have to send a catastrophe in our midst to get our attention. That we will admit the struggles that are inside of us. That we will accept the fact that Jesus and only Jesus is still the answer. I was thinking about a scripture the other day where it says in John, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And it seems to me, now this is not a theological statement, this is just me thinking. It seems to me that when Jesus comes into our life, greater is he that is in us than the ruler of this world, which is Satan, so the scripture says. I'm wondering, I'm just wondering, if you're outside of Christ, and now you're filled with pride, you're filled with the enemy, think, is greater who is in you at that point? Greater than the one in the world? Because it's one and the same at that point. You see, if, if we're going to deal with our difficulties, if we're going to be his people, we're going to have to admit that he's the way. We're going to have to accept that he's the way, admit our need. And then the third thing is we're going to have to adjust our lives. Adjust our lives. As I end, would you turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be done. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 calls us to make changes in our lives. We're not real big on changes. We kind of like things staying the same, and everything Jesus taught us was that we have to change and adjust. In verse 4, let's let's just read a little bit. Verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. The only way we're going to walk worthy is to adhere to some of these things where he says, and with all humility and gentleness and patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in all. Now flip down to verse 17. Therefore I say this, and I testify in the Lord, You should no longer walk as the Gentile walks in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding and excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of the heart. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you learned about the Messiah. You see, Paul calls us to walk worthy. He calls us to change. He calls us not to walk like lost people. He calls us to lay aside sin. He calls us to lay aside pride. He calls us to lay aside selfishness. And he calls us to put on Christ daily to deal with the difficulties that we face, to deal with the conflicts inside, to deal with how it affects our life. The solution is that we admit, hey, 
problem's not Grant. Problem's not Wendell. The problem's not Troy. The problem's not even the preacher. Surprise of all surprise. Problem's me. He calls us to deal with it internally first. Get to the root of it. And then Jesus steps up and he says, if you'll call on me, I'll help you. Will you call on him tonight? Let's pray together.